Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 3, it goes like this. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be the first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for another beautiful day you've given to us. You preserved us from the hurricane. Uh, some other folks got a little damage, but you gave us a beautiful breezy day yesterday. We thank you for that. We ask that you'll guide us through this day. Walk us through your word. And show us what you have for each one of us and how we can be more like you. We're asking all that in your name. Amen. I want to thank Kim this morning that uh, as we were coming in here to sit down, I don't know if anybody noticed, it's a hymn we don't often sing anymore. Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. It's one of my favorites. Uh, the words in that are beautiful. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he starts right off. Today, uh, we see Paul give Timothy a call to join him in suffering. Now remember, Paul's in the Mamertine prison in Rome, just about to die. And he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's given Timothy a call to join him in suffering. Now this is the second time he's done it in this book so far. We're only in the second chapter. Uh, and it's not going to be the last. We're going to see it again in verse 9 next time when we're together as well. And then we're going to see it again in chapter 4, verse 5 at the end. This is a theme of the book of 2 Timothy. The Christian life isn't supposed to be an easy walk in the park. Now, there may be uh, some prosperity preachers on TV that tell us that it ought to be, but that's not how it's supposed to be according to this Bible, especially according to 2 Timothy. We're going to see when we get to uh, chapter 3 and verse 12 that following Christ is going to expose us to persecution. In fact, let's look at that. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise in the Bible right there. I mean, we like to pick out the nice gravy promises that are really nice and rosy. There's a promise right there, too. If you're going to follow the will of Christ, you are going to suffer persecution. So the question that comes up, are you suffering persecution? No? Then maybe you're not following the will of Christ. So, just like Timothy, we ought to be prepared for these sort of things. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he says. We aren't supposed to be trying to avoid persecution, you know. I'm not supposed to be trying to avoid it. I'm supposed to expect it. The Christian walk means to be willing to endure hardship without complaining. Now, i got to say, I'm going to give you a little uh, uh, popular culture lesson here. There has been a movement in Christendom lately to downplay the fact of persecution in the early church. In fact, in uh, 2011, uh, 2013 rather, sorry, a woman named Candida uh, Moss wrote a book 
which she entitled The Myth of Persecution. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, it's popular. She claimed that the early Christians made up many of the stories of suffering, physical persecution, and martyrdom uh, in order to make people pity them more. And the book has, it, it's total garbage, I've read it, it's total garbage. It's been refuted by real historical scholars many times over. And yet it's still taught, it's the most popular Western civilization class textbook for early Judeo-Christian uh, history in many colleges in America. Not to be political here, there's a very real danger of any kind of revisionist history, especially when it gets to the church. Revisionist history is something that's very important to pay attention to. Uh, the truth is, I'm off the political stump now, the truth is that persecution, often resulting in death, has been a recurring theme throughout church history. Right from the very beginning, uh, persecution has even been common in recent history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous one from Nazi Germany, right? There's some people still alive who remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, even to this day, Christians are being tortured and killed for the sake of the gospel in much of Africa and Asia, throughout all the Muslim world, and in communist China to this very day. Uh, in fact, statistical fact, it's very, very likely that there's more persecution of Christians happening now than at any other time in world history. There's a lot of evidence to believe that. I get these facts from Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, we in America are sheltered from it, though, and it's an unnatural sheltering. In fact, many people in America may not even believe that it's happening, and to ignore it is to be a naive simpleton. Sorry, but that's how it is. Christians should always be heeding the warning that persecution is to be the normal state for the Christian. That is to be the normal state. What you and I experience in 21st century America is abnormal. And that's why Jesus made the promise that he did in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 that says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I shall give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2 and 10. Now, Paul knows a little bit about what he's talking about here, too. After all, he witnessed and supported the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, right? There's good evidence to believe, and I taught this when we taught through the book of Acts, that Paul was the one in charge of executing Stephen. And he suffered for Christ himself. In fact, we've already stated he's in the Mamertine prison about to be beheaded at this point. If you want to read some of the sufferings that Paul lists out, I'm not going to read it right now. We don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, all the way to uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, Paul lists all the things that he'd suffered for Christ. Go ahead and read it this afternoon if you want to see what, what Paul know, knew about. But here in this verse, here in this verse, verse 3, Thou therefore suffer, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul's calling Timothy to share in the sufferings that he himself is a part of, just as a soldier has to face possible injury and death every single day. Right? Combat soldier, every day he wakes up, and there's always the potential of injury and death. That's every day. That's a normal status of life. That ought to be for you and I as well. 
we sing the hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. Well, if we consider ourselves soldiers, that ought to be a fact of life. Verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. So we're, Paul's now going to give us three examples. Verses 4 to verse 6, Paul's going to give three examples of fruitful service which may come at great cost. The first example is that of a soldier, which we kind of started in verse 3. Now a soldier, he avoids any kind of entanglement with any non-military matters. If it's not mission-related, he's not supposed to be doing it, right? Unless he's on leave. Now, there's a lot of non-mission-related distractions in life, isn't there? Whether it might be uh, chasing financial gain, uh, whether it could be anything. I don't need to give you a whole list of them. You know what they are. Uh, in the example that Paul makes, though, the soldier needs to be focused on pleasing his commanding officer. Well, who's our commanding officer? Jesus Christ. We're going to get down to that illustration. I'll give you a picture of it in just a minute. Um, we ought to be interested in pleasing our commanding officer. Now, uh, I do a lot of reading. I read a lot of stuff. Uh, if you read the memoirs of Julius Caesar, he relates many, many times in his campaigns, especially in the Gallic Wars when he was fighting the Frenchmen. Italians and French have always been fighting. Uh, Julius Caesar, he relates that a lot of times his soldiers would perform heroic deeds when their commanding officer was right there beside them, which they could not be forced to do otherwise. If you tell them, hey, go, go do that, they won't do it. But if you say, come on along with me and let's do this, they'll do it. That's what Paul's doing for Timothy, don't you see? He's not saying, Timothy, I want you to go out there and I want you to suffer and endure hardship for Christ. He's saying, Timothy, Come on along with me. I'm suffering in hardship for Christ. Come on with me, Timothy. See, Paul's telling Timothy to join him. Paul's leading from the front. He's not pushing Timothy from behind the lines. So, Paul's calling on Timothy to avoid distractions and to pay close attention to his commander, Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop and make another side point here. That we're not trying to say that we as Christians ought to see our Christian walk as a military exercise either. Don't get me wrong there. In fact, uh, some people have done that in church history, uh, and they get off course in the faith. Uh, that was what led to the Holy Roman Empire, where, all right, if we're supposed to be soldiers for Christ, let's conquer all these nations and make them Christian nations. That's wrong. That led to the Crusades. It led to all kinds of things that are a blot on Christianity. That's not what we're supposed to do. Kind of not to disparage our brothers and sisters, but it, it's kind of where the Salvation Army went too. That's really not how we're supposed to go. Uh, we can't just see Jesus as a military commander, although that picture is there, and I told you I'd show you that picture. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, 11. 
And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And it goes on to describe him leading his army out. I'm not going to read all of it. But that's a little different picture than how a lot of Christians picture little baby Jesus in the manger still. He's not a baby Jesus anymore. He's a conquering hero. That's how he's going to next appear. Next time we see him, he's going to be a conquering hero. But that's only one aspect of the picture Paul wants us to pay attention to. Now, another path that people have gotten this verse wrong, we can't completely separate secular from spiritual life either. You know, Paul says, well, we can't entangle ourselves in the affairs of this life, so I'm not going to have any entanglement. And that's where a lot of these monasteries got set up. All right, we're going to lock ourselves in a cloistered cell, and we're not going to have anything to do with the world. That's what the Amish do too. Uh, that's not how we're supposed to take it. We can't be militaristic and conquer other nations in the sake of Christianity, and we can't cloister ourselves away either. We need to be dealing with this world, but we can't get mucked up with it. We need to be doing our own Christian walk, showing Christ to this world around us. That's what we're supposed to do. So verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So this is another picture of what the Christian life ought to look like. Uh, and once again, it's not a life of leisure or being a spectator in a church pew. This time, it's a being a competitor in a sporting event. Would you mind giving me the picture that we... Yeah, there we go. All right, this would be a picture that would be very familiar to Timothy. I'll explain it in a minute. Uh, in Paul's day, Paul's thinking of the Olympic Games here as he writes this. The man that striveth. We're talking about an Olympic athlete. That's what we're talking about. And if you're competing in the Olympic athletic competitions in those days and today, what does it require? A lot of rigorous training, right? A lot of the Olympic athletes, uh, they're pretty young, and they've spent their entire lives training for this event. It takes discipline. It takes effort and training. And what's the goal? The gold medal that you get, right? Did, did America bring home the gold? That's the only thing people are worried about during the Olympics every day. Well, in those days, you didn't get gold. You can hardly see it up in the uh, far, yeah, right there. It's a, that's a crown. That's a crown of laurel leaves, bay laurel. You know, when you put a bay leaf in your soup, that's the stuff. And they weave it into a nice-smelling uh, wreath, and that's what you got. You got the crown of victory. By the way, that is the goddess Nike, the goddess of victory, right? That's, that's all Nike means in uh, Greek. And if you might pay attention, that you see that one fold of her uh, uh, gown there just underneath her, uh, let's see, that would be her right hand. It looks like the Nike swoosh. That's where Nike got the swoosh that they put on all of their shoes and everything else. It's from that, that picture right there, which Paul and Timothy would have walked by as they go into Ephesus every day. It still stands there today. The goddess Nike, holding the victor's crown in her hand, 
So what Paul's saying, off the illustration, just like an Olympic athlete, Timothy cannot be satisfied with a distracted, casual, or cowardly lifestyle. He needs to be focused on getting that crown. Because that's the only thing that we're here for. Now, just as there can't be any victory without discipline, there can't be any victory without obeying the rules either. Right? Olympic Games are certain rules. You can't, uh, can't be taking steroids. You can't be doing this. You can't be doing that. You've got to participate according to the rules. Well, when it comes to serving Christ, the first rule is that of denying yourself. I'm not going to steal Brother Fisher's thunder because he's getting really, really close to it. But Jesus calls for his disciples to take up their cross. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. I'm not going to cover that. By the way, he says it again in Matthew 16, 24. And it's repeated in Mark 8, 34 and Luke 9, 23. If it's said that many times, it's important. See, that's what true Christianity should look like. If you're going to play on God's team, you have to play by the rules. And then verse 6, it says, The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. So this is the third example. I told you there were going to be three. This is the third. This is the last. Paul gives the example of a hardworking farmer. Now, the farmer was an illustration that Jesus used in many of his parables. As Brother Fisher works through Matthew, we're going to see all kinds of this sower and the seed. We're going to see all these things. But notice this isn't just any farmer. The King James says, the husbandman that laboreth. Uh, now, just a farmer, that's uh, Gorgias in the Greek. This is Gorgias kopeo. This is a hard-working farmer. This, mean, this is work beyond your ordinary day's work. Have you ever had a day that was harder than ordinary? Anybody here ever had a hard day? I mean, we all have a day, right? We've all got things we have to do in a day. And then once in a while, you get one of those days that, man, that was a rugged day. That's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. The guy that, man, that was a rough day. This is exceptionally hard work. It's the exceptionally hard worker that should share in the fruits. To Paul, the ministry of the gospel is expected to be especially arduous work. Sharing the gospel isn't supposed to be necessarily easy. Sharing the gospel is supposed to be hard work. Now, it's the farmer who works extra hard and puts himself in the best position to reap a good harvest, too. You know that? Even a lazy farmer, I mean, I can scatter some seed out there and something will grow, and I'll get something. You'll get, if you're lazy sharing the gospel, you may get bring somebody in once in a while. But if you're really putting the effort in, that's when you're really going to see a harvest. Isn't that true? You're going to see a significant improvement in the harvest if you put the extra effort in. What's the harvest? I gave you a hint already. We've talked about it. The harvest is souls. 
some people have talked to, you tried to use this while, well, see, the, the husbandman that laboreth, that's why the preacher ought to be paid really well. Some people have made that statement. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. The harvest is every single time in the New Testament. Every time the harvest is mentioned in the New Testament, it's souls. Every single time. So don't, don't pay attention to people who are saying that. Uh, move on to verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So all three of these illustrations are just ordinary pictures taken from everyday life. In the Roman world, soldiers, athletes, and farmers are something you're going to see everywhere. Every single day. Paul isn't giving Timothy some grand lofty lesson here. It should be pretty obvious. If Timothy expects to have a successful ministry, he is going to have to work, he's going to have to discipline himself, and perhaps even suffer persecution. And that's not something that any normal person really wants, is it? I mean, think of, step out of the church pew and act like you're a normal person. Is any of that stuff that you want? Do you want to have to work extra hard? Do you want to have to discipline yourself? No, I want to sit on the couch and I want to eat potato chips and I want to watch TV. That's what I really want in life, right? But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to have to work. It's normal to take the easy path. It's not normal to struggle and to fight against popular culture, against the waves that's going on around us, but that's not what the Christian walk ought to be. Now, let's think in light of what we saw in verse 2 last week. Let's back up and read verse 2 so we can do that. Well, last week, it's been a couple of weeks now. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Then it goes into, thou therefore, because of what you're doing, committing these things to faithful men, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's why we are to discipline ourselves. That's why we are to work hard. That's why we're to obey the rules and to live a life that's exemplary because we are trying to pass this on to other people. You see, as Timothy's making disciples, it's more than simply teaching doctrinal facts to each other. That's the easy part. Teaching doctrinal facts is easy. Timothy needs to teach his followers how to endure suffering, how to work hard for the gospel, how to discipline themselves for victorious life, how to gain that crown. It's more than just working through a checklist. Yep, you've, you've, gone, you've done this lesson, you've done this lesson, you've done this lesson. Yep, you're a, I dubbed thee a disciple. That's just a catechism class. I mean, Baptists say they don't believe in catechisms, but way, way back, hundreds of years ago, there are Baptist catechisms. And if you read those Baptist catechisms, they're exactly like our discipleship books that we have here. They're exactly the same. That working through those books, that's good. It teaches you doctrinal facts, but that's not discipleship. It's not discipleship. You can call it what you want. It's catechism. 
We're talking real life grinding discipline. And in order to teach discipline, it needs to be present in your own life first, doesn't it? And that realization is only going to come by God's revelation too, by the way. And we see that. Verse 7, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. The Lord give thee understanding in all things. This is kind of like what Jesus taught uh, when God opened up Peter's heart. Can I steal your thunder a little bit? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 16. I'm just going to be real quick on this. I don't want to ruin the point for him. Matthew 16, verse 17. Uh, Simon Peter, he makes this famous statement. Uh, Jesus asked, verse 15, he says, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's the verse I want you to pay attention to. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Or that if you want another example, see, God revealed to Peter who Jesus was. You got the case of Lydia in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, whose heart the Lord opened, it said, that she attended unto the things that were spoken of Paul. Her heart the Lord opened. See, Paul realizes that what he's trying to teach Timothy here about discipline and living a victorious life is going to take intervention from God himself. Because human beings, myself, are naturally lazy. I'm naturally lazy. I want to sit still. I don't want, I want to be the guy sitting on the couch. That's what I naturally want. Or in a lawn chair in the sun on a beautiful afternoon like we've got today. I want to go fishing. I don't want to be disciplined. But just as with any discipline, it's pretty easy to tell the ones who take it seriously from the ones who are just playing around, isn't it? You see, discipline and God giving us understanding need to work together. God will open the hearts so that we realize what it is, and we need to discipline ourselves to follow in it. Our own efforts and God's enabling work together. And it's easy to tell the people who are doing it versus the people who are just playing around. Let me make an, one last illustration. It's pretty easy to tell a real athlete, we talk, we're in the uh, situation of Olympics. It's easy to look at an Olympic athlete, I don't care what the competition is, whether it's discus toss, whether it's uh, whatever. You look at a real Olympic athlete versus the person who's sitting on a couch, and, uh, couch potato football fan, uh, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference there. What's the difference? Discipline, work, effort. Work shows itself in a person's life. You can see the difference right off, can't you? And that's how I want my Christian walk to look. Don't you? That a person can, wow, I can tell that person is a disciplined Christian. Tell at a glance, just I can tell that. Do you work out? I can tell looking at you that you work out. There's people I can tell don't work out, too. 
And it's the same thing in a Christian walk, isn't it? I can tell the people who are disciplined, and I can tell the people who are not disciplined. And you know what I'm saying. Let's close in a word of prayer.